Hey, Mosaic, how's it going? Good morning. My name is Jeff, and it's my job here as a volunteer uh, to preach about movies you've never seen before. I first saw Amadeus uh, just, just a couple of months ago myself. I watched it for the first time, and I don't even know if I can describe uh, the reaction uh, that I had inside uh, when I saw it. I mean, I really felt like it cut uh, to the heart of so much uh, that, that I myself find, uh, find myself struggling with. Um, you know, this idea of Salieri, the composer, that, that we're seeing Mozart uh, through his eyes, uh, all he wanted was uh, to compose and be great uh, for God's glory. Um, but somehow, you know, he couldn't handle uh, seeing somebody else having greater success uh, than he did. Um, and as somebody, as, a, as somebody who's grown up uh, wanting to do things in ministry, do things for the kingdom, you know, I find myself, uh, you know, sometimes in a very similar place, you know, struggling when I feel like I can't do things as well as other people. We're in a series at Mosaic right now, of course, for those of you who are joining us for the first time. We call it our At the Movies uh, series. Um, and during our At the Movies series, we like to observe uh, some films uh, that we think show us ourselves or the world around us or something about God in a new and engaging way. Uh, from the very beginning of Jesus' kingdom, uh, Jesus used story uh, to tell truths about about the world and about God and about himself. And that's always been a really powerful way for us to learn and, and experience truth. Um, I know that's been the case for me. Um, and, you know, I love how a film like Amadeus can teach me things in a way that just propositions uh, cannot. Um, so I, I look forward every year to the At The Movies uh, series. And preaching during At The Movies is a lot of fun because the movie does so much of the work. Uh, for me. I mean, talking about envy today, Amadeus does so much of the heavy lifting uh, for me because it's so clear uh, when we see it how deadly envy can be. And that is what we're talking about today the sin of envy. We've been talking uh, during this series, Deadly, about these seven deadly sins um, and about how destructive they are within us. And it's a good reminder uh, to me, certainly. Um, that, that sin isn't, nor, isn't always how I think of it. Um, a lot of times when we talk about sin in the church, we talk about it as though it's something where God kind of arbitrarily draws these lines and says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't say that, don't think this. Um, and we think sometimes that God is just arbitrarily uh, putting forth these commands to us. But I think what, what's really stood out to me as we've looked at this list that throughout church history we've called the seven deadly sins, it's a reminder to me that when the Bible calls something sin, it's because when it grips us or when it uh, gets a foothold within us, you know, not only does it destroy us, uh, but it leads us into some dysfunctional behaviors that are deadly to the world around us and the people around us. And envy is certainly no exception uh, to that. But before we dive too deep into envy and talking about ways it's different from some of the others, let's reset ourselves, go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we are so thankful uh, to you uh, that you came, uh, that you sent your son Jesus to come and show us who you are, 
we're so thankful that Jesus showed us the way uh, to follow you and to have life. And Lord, envy, experiencing envy is so different from experiencing that life to the fullest that you offer. And so, Lord, we pray that as we talk about envy a little bit today, that you would expose us to ourselves, help us to see ways that we're struggling, see ways that we need your help. Um, and we just commit this time to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things I think that this series, as we've looked at the seven deadly sins, that I think it's highlighted for me anyway, um, has been how different some of these sins are from each other, some of the ways that each one is unique and interacts with us in unique ways. And as I've thought about envy quite a lot over the last couple of weeks, and I do think that envy um, in particular, um, along with vanity, which is what I preached on a couple of weeks ago, uh, these are sins that I, I think it's fair to say grip me a little bit more um, than the others, um, those, those two. And I think what, what stands out to me about envy as I've thought about it over the last couple of weeks is that envy is just no fun. And we compare that to uh, some of the other sins that, that we've looked at or that we will look at in the next few weeks. I mean, when, when we really let, let loose on somebody with wrath and we just, just ream somebody out, that's fun, isn't it? In the moment. You know, we, there, there's something kind of enjoyable about that. Or when we give in to lust, or when we give in to gluttony, or we give in to sloth, there are, there are moments in the process of that where it's, it's a pretty enjoyable experience, isn't it? Uh, you know, but with envy, you know, when I am gripped, you know, by um, the spirit of envy and, and wishing that I had something or, or some quality that some other person had, there's nothing fun about that. I don't enjoy a moment of it. And I think, you know, as we see, you know, as we look at Amadeus, did Salieri look like he was having a good time envying Mozart? Or did he look miserable? He looked miserable the entire time. Um, and that's how I think it is for me when I um, experience envy. It is just misery from start to finish. I mean, we think about the last time that you found yourself caught up looking at at somebody else and comparing yourself to them or what they have or what they're experiencing or talent that they have. Was that fun? I bet, I bet it wasn't. Because it's, it's just not a fun experience at all. I really love the way that Proverbs uh, chapter four, 14, verse 30 describes envy. It says, A peaceful heart brings health to the body but envy rots the bones. That's a pretty vivid metaphor there, isn't it? Envy rots the bones. It kind of brings up this picture, you know, of us, you know, living and maybe looking happy and walking around like normal, but inside there's something killing us. There's something sapping us and, and drying us up inside of life. Um, that... That, I think, is a really good picture of what my life looks like when envy grabs hold of me. And envy, you know, I think, you know, just like last week when Mike was here talking about greed, um, I think there's a tendency um, when, when we talk about envy, just like with greed, uh, to get caught up thinking that, that envy is primarily about stuff. You know, it's about, you know, my, my neighbor or my friend or somebody in my family has stuff that I want. Uh, but envy really encompasses quite a lot more 
than that. Envy is about you know, wishing I had the opportunities that somebody else has, or envy is about wishing I had the relationships that somebody else has, or the connections that somebody else has, or maybe it's about wishing that I came from the family that somebody else did. Um, it really encompasses quite a lot of different disordered desires that we might have when we compare ourselves to other people. And really, that's what envy is. It's resentment that's born from comparison of ourselves to other people. It's resentment that grows within us when we compare ourselves to somebody else. And it can be a really subtle sin that comes in and takes hold of us because Envy can start to grip our heart, and we think there's really nothing much wrong because, because mostly we're okay. Now, that's, that's a funny word, isn't it? Mostly. Mostly we're okay. Now, that word mostly really changes a sentence or a thought, doesn't it? You know, if, if I were to come home you know, when I was in high school and tell my parents, I got my report card today and I passed all my classes mostly, Mostly kind of changes it there, doesn't it? Or if, you know, I, I go to my wife and say, good news, we're able to pay all of our bills this month. Mostly. Those aren't really, that's not really the same sentence, is it? Um, it's a completely different statement. Or, you know, your x-rays came back and they're negative. Mostly. Well, you know, I think about, when I, when I think about the times that envy has really started to take hold within me. I think, for instance, about during my 20s when I was single and my friends would start to get into relationships and get married, and I'd be very happy for them, mostly. Anybody relate to that in here? You know, or now, you know, uh, you know, when you have a couple of kids, but you're stuck in a one or two bedroom apartment and your friends are starting to get successful, buy houses that have fenced in yards for their kids to play in and finished basements and enough bedrooms for everybody to have one, um, we're happy for them, mostly. And, you know, maybe, you know, you have a friend at work, you know, who gets promoted and you've been waiting for years to get promoted, uh, and you go out to drinks, celebrate, and you're happy for them, mostly. Or maybe even you have a conversation with somebody in a small group, or you hear somebody um, up here like me uh, talking about having a relationship with God, and we make it sound intimate and vibrant and full of life, and you're so happy for that person, mostly, mostly. Now, if you've heard me preach a couple of times, you know, I think one thing I generally do pretty well, um, you know, I usually find it pretty easy to be vulnerable up here and talk about um, how I myself have have experienced things like this. But envy is a little bit different because it it feels like when you admit to envy, I mean, it it just really feels, you know, like you're admitting something about yourself, like you're admitting somebody else has it a little bit more together than I do in a particular way. Um, you know, and, and when, I, when I look at myself, you know, I have, I've been here at Mosaic for about four years, and I've loved every minute of it. And one of the things that drew me here, and I bet probably drew a lot of you guys here, is um, the fact that I, I loved 
Um, Aaron, our former lead pastor, I loved hearing him speak. He had so much talent. Um, he could affect people for the kingdom and influence people uh, in ways that I feel like I could only dream of. And I rejoiced to see how God would use him mostly. Mostly. But when envy comes in, there's this part of us, this part of us that is separate from the mostly, this part of us that has a bit of creeping resentment, and it's that creeping resentment within us that is so deadly. Because that resentment, you know, over time, it starts to overshadow how we think about the people in our life. We start you know, if it, if it takes hold enough over time to make us say things within ourselves, we'd never say them out loud, make us say things like, you know, I'd be okay if they didn't have any more good fortune for a while. Or it might, you know, eventually bring us to a point where we're looking at our friends and we say, you know what, they just seem like too happy a couple. I kind of wish they would get in a fight sometime. I kind of wish they would get in a fight just to kind of put them in their place. Just, just... Just, just so they didn't seem so perfect all the time. And it can get to a really ugly point within us where we go from even being mostly happy for people to almost rooting against them. And that resentment just comes to bear within us, and suddenly it's affecting all of our relationships. It's, it's affecting our relationships with other people It's hurting the way that we see ourselves because we think to ourselves, you know, if I were just a little bit better, maybe if I worked a little bit harder, if I were a little smarter, if I were a little better looking, maybe things would go better for me. It can really play with our self-esteem. And then it it even creeps in and invades how we see God and his goodness. You know, because really, what I think envy is more than anything, you know, it's when selfishness infects our sense of justice. And we start asking the why not me questions. And we start thinking if the world was the way that the world ought to be, then things would go a little bit better for me. Things would be a little bit more balanced out here and and I would be getting my share. And then it then it pervades even a little bit more and we start saying if God were the kind of God that he ought to be, Things would be going differently for me. Things would be going a little bit better for me. And as you see, envy, it starts to change everything within us. All of our relationships can become characterized by that perverted sense of justice. And so as we talk about these seven deadly sins, part of how we're looking at them uh, is we're trying to think through not just what does it look like for us to experience these sins, but what is the virtue on the other side of them? Um, and when we look at envy, it seems to me anyway that clearly on the other side of envy is gratitude. Gratitude, you know, of course, is that feeling of thankfulness. It's that feeling that I have been on the receiving end of so much. And it, it's certainly true, you know, I think when we examine ourselves, we have been on the receiving end of so much. Some of us in here might not feel that way all the time, but we've been, I think for most of us, if we're honest, when we look at our lives, we have been on the receiving end of so much blessing. And the nice thing about gratitude 
you know, is that, you know, these days, you know, social scientists have studied gratitude and the effects that gratitude can have on us. And there are really some pretty amazing things that a life marked with gratitude uh, can do, uh, things that gratitude can produce within us. I read a, a little compilation of some studies uh, about gratitude. Uh, this was all compiled by a writer named Amy Morin um, in an article in Forbes magazine, and she kind of summarizes it with seven things uh, that gratitude contributes to our lives. First, gratitude opens the door to more relationships. Not only does saying thank you constitute good manners, but showing appreciation can help you win new friends, according to a 2014 study. Secondly, gratitude improves physical health. Uh, Morin writes, grateful people experience fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier than other people. Gratitude improves psychological health. Morin writes that gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions, ranging from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. She goes on and on. Gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Grateful people sleep better. If you spend just 15 minutes jotting down a few grateful sentiments before bed, you may sleep better and longer, a 2011 study published. Uh, Gratitude improves self-esteem. Rather than becoming resentful towards people who uh, have more money or better jobs, which is a major factor in reduced self-esteem, grateful people are able to appreciate other people's accomplishments. And then finally, gratitude increases, increases our mental strength. And she writes, for years, research has shown that gratitude not only reduces stress, but it may also play a major role in overcoming trauma. And I imagine if you're like me, you kind of hear all this and think, yeah, that sounds great. I would love to feel more grateful. I would love to feel less envious. But there is nothing less useful than somebody standing up here telling you how to feel, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where we get this so wrong in the church so often is we spend so much time standing up here uh, telling you, you shouldn't feel this way, you should feel happier, you shouldn't feel so sad, you should feel grateful, you shouldn't feel envious. You know, we talk about this as if, you know, it's all within an act of your volition to change how you feel. And that's not really how we experience emotions, is it? That isn't really authentic uh, to how emotions work within us. So today, you know, just for the rest of the time that we have together, I want to think a little bit, you know, not so much about how we stop feeling envious and start feeling gratitude, but I want to shift from that a little bit to asking the question, how do we stop practicing envy and how do we start practicing gratitude within us? Because that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it, it reminds me of this story um, from some Native American lore, um, this grandfather talking to a grandson um, who says, you know, son, there are two wolves within me fighting a battle, and one of those wolves is everything dark within myself. It's my anger, it's my resentment, it's my greed, it's my envy, it's all those things that are dark inside of me. And the other wolf inside of me Um, is everything good inside of me. It's love, it's joy, it's gratitude, it's contentment. And those wolves are in a constant battle within me, trying to dominate me. And the grandson thinks for a moment and asks, well, grandfather, which wolf is going to win that battle? And if you've heard this story before, you know what the answer there. The grandfather says, the wolf that's going to win that battle is the one that I feed more. 
It's going to be the wolf that I feed more. In other words, you know, whatever I do, the things that I do either feed one of those two wolves. The things that I do, the practices that I have, they contribute to that battle in there. So let's not talk, as we go away today, I don't want you to go away thinking about I need to feel less one way and feel more another way. But I want to encourage you to think about the way that we live our lives and ask the question, what does it look like for me to feed gratitude within my life? And what might it look like? What might I be doing that feeds envy in me? And what would it look like for me to stop feeding envy within myself? And in order to look at that question, I want to take just a quick look at a little bit more scripture um, from what I think is maybe the most beautifully obnoxious book in the Bible. Um, And it's the book that Bill read from a little bit earlier today. It's uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, um, or the book of Philippians, as we more commonly call it. And you probably remember um, that when Bill read some of that earlier, it contained a lot of these commands like what we're talking about. Rejoice in all things, or, you know, give thanks in all things. And again, you know, the way that we normally preach that or the way that we normally talk about that in the church is saying, change the way that you're feeling. Feel differently. But I think as we look at where Paul is coming from, I think, we, I think we'll see that he understands that's not really how our emotions work, and he's coming from a much different place. So let's go back a little bit in Philippians to chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 12 through 18 to you. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to almost everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. So what, what can we extrapolate from these few verses? We see that Paul is writing these words about rejoicing and giving thanks from prison. And he's there particularly because he's been proclaiming the gospel. He's been doing exactly what he ought to be doing. And just to add insult to injury, there are some others around him um, who are proclaiming the gospel. But, and I, it's hard to understand what this even looks like, um, but based on what Paul says, they're, they're preaching the gospel particularly to needle him a little bit, um, to just, just to be annoying uh, for, for some reason. It's difficult to even understand what that looks like and how that played out. But Paul, I feel like, has every reason to be envious um, here. He's not where he wants to be. He's not able to do what he wants to do to the degree that he wants to do it. And there are these people out here who get to do what he doesn't get to do. Uh, and Paul knows for a fact they just don't deserve the opportunity. They're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but they get to do what Paul 
doesn't get to do and what he longs to do so much. And Paul says, because they're out proclaiming the gospel, I rejoice. That, that to me doesn't sound like somebody who is, you know, you know, who is feeling gratitude because the circumstances dictate it or because that's what one would naturally go to emotionally from those circumstances. He is practiced in the way of gratitude. You know, and some of those verses that Bill read earlier, Paul has so many qualities about him. He has this education and this background that so many of the people of Israel uh, would have envied in him. They would have looked at Paul and said, I want what he has. But Paul has come to realize, you know, even these things that I have in me that seem enviable, none of it really matters that much compared to this opportunity to know Jesus and his resurrection and to live that resurrection with him. None of it really makes that big a difference. So again, I kind of find myself asking this question, what does it look like for us to practice and learn gratitude, not as an emotional response to the circumstances around us, but as a developed part of our character? What does it look like to feed gratitude? And what might it look like for us to stop feeding envy? Now, as I've thought about what that looks like to stop feeding envy, something does come to my mind in a big way. Um, For myself, certainly I'll say that much um, anyway. And I'm kind of hesitant to talk about this again because I feel like I hit this really hard a couple of weeks ago um, when I was talking about vanity. And that's some of the dysfunctions about how I use social media and Facebook. And I don't really use Instagram because I'm not very good with the camera, um, but I imagine, you know, if... You know, if I had the basic capacity, um, you know, it would just extend to other things. You know, we're the first group of people in human history who have had to learn how to use social media well. And I'm not very good at it because generally what social media is for me is it's the social scoreboard in this comparison game that I'm caught up in playing. You know, it's, it's, it's where... It's where I show, you know, how nice my house looks, how, how cute my kids are, how cool my vacation was, you know, and all these ways that I try to compare myself to other people. Um, and I know that for myself, I, until I learn how to get that a little bit under control, I'm never going to make any headway on either of these two deadly sins uh, that I've preached about, vanity and envy. Because I, when I feel like I'm winning that comparison game, I, it's vanity in me. When I feel like I'm losing that comparison game, it's envy um, within me. So until, until I can learn to get that under control a little bit, I'm always going to be a little bit dysfunctional where the social media is concerned. You just, maybe that applies to you guys out there, maybe not. Um, but, but maybe just some food for thought. Um, when it comes to how do we stop feeding envy, uh, I can think of one thing that we can do. You're probably not going to like it, uh, but the way to stop feeding envy 
is to celebrate, to celebrate other people's wins. You know, those people who we find ourselves most prone to envy, you know, to say, I really want to bless and celebrate you in this win. You know, that, that coworker who gets promoted over us when we were hoping for the promotion, to be the one to say, let's go out to dr- for drinks and celebrate. The person who is always having a party thrown for them for their birthday when nobody is thinking to throw you a party, to say, I'm going to put myself in charge of celebrating and blessing you. You know, that is how we look at our envy and our resentment, and we say, no, you are not going to own me. By saying, I'm going to celebrate other people's wins, and I'm just going to live in this place of blessing other people. That is the best way that we can refuse to feed the envy in our life. When it comes to gratitude, and how do we feed a spirit of gratitude within us, I think the best way we can do that uh, is by setting aside some time, hopefully on a daily basis, to, for some reflection. And reflection on just how much we've been given, how much we have to be grateful for. I've never been much of a journaler. Maybe there are people in here who are uh, journalers, but my good friend Kylie, um, she has this practice of keeping what she calls a gratitude journal. And basically, she takes a little bit of time every day, um, she says. You know, I asked her about it this week. I said, so is this something that you, you write in when, when you're feeling grateful? And she says, no, it's something that I write in every day, you know, regardless of where my mind is at. I think about what I have to be grateful for, you know, and even if that's just the sun in the sky and the breath in my lungs, you know, I've got something every day that I can think about uh, and write down a little bit about, you know, that I have to be thankful for. And Jeff, you wouldn't believe what a difference that makes in my life. And so taking a little bit of time every day just to reflect on what it is we have to be thankful for. I know none of us have a perfect life in here, and I sure don't either. You know, I, I worry about, you know, as my kids grow a little bit older, you know, am I going to be able to take care of them on what I'm making right now? You know, and I worry about, you know, as they get, as they get bigger, you know, is, is the apartment that we have, am I going to be able to contain, <laughs> contain them in it? Um, you know, am I going to be able to take care of them effectively? And my job is frustrating, and some days it's even dangerous, um, and I, I want out so bad um, on some days. Um, but when I think about what I've been given, the family that I grew up in, uh, the parents who love me, a wife that loves me, uh, when I think about the friendships I've made here in this community uh, through my small group, uh, when I think about times in my life where I didn't have a job, and now, you know, I have one that I complain about quite a bit, but when I think about just the stability I've had over the last five years um, in my job, when I think about all that I've been given, I think about a day like today out there, uh, 71, they say it's going to be today, sunshine all day. That's a lot to be thankful for. You know, I realize just how much I've been given. So as the band uh, can come back up uh, to play today, um, I want to pray real quick. Uh, just, as, just 
as a way to again thank God for what we've been given. And after I pray, I'd like you to take a few moments to think about who is somebody in my life that I can celebrate, somebody that I tend to want to envy, somebody who, you know, when I think about them, I find myself comparing myself to them and wishing I had what they had. Uh, Who can you celebrate with this week, the wins in their life that you tend to envy? Then think a little bit about what do I have? What do you have to be grateful for? What have you been given? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for all that we've been given. Lord, we just ask that you would build within us a spirit of gratitude. Help us to bear in mind what you've done for us, all that you've given us. Lord, help us to stop feeding the envy within us. Lord, we want to be people of blessing. We want to be people of celebration. Help us to be people who will lead the way in celebrating the wins of those around us so that we can tell the envy within us, no, you don't control me. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name.